It is the week of March 15th, 2021, and welcome to me and my team and the news. I'm Tim. I'm Ben. And I first want to start with a thank you to the Journalism Educators Association and the JEA NSPA National High School Journalism Conference for allowing me to be one of their guest lecturers. It's a great organization, and we really support education and journalism, and we hope that you do too. So, Ben, we promised at the end of last week that it was likely going to be a busy news week. We had a week of the fallout from the Meghan Markle Oprah interview. We have the trial of Derek Chauvin and the death of George Floyd. We have a Department of the Interior uh, new director who, by the way, or secretary, was a Native American for the first time. And the Department of the Interior controls outside things inside the U.S., which is one of my favorite little distinctions, and a lot of other big news happening, including snowstorms and a variety of other things. What uh, what things bubbled up with you this week in the news, Benjamin? Well, I think the three biggest things really were the Grammys, um, the Derek Chauvin, and then the stimulus package. I think those oh, were the biggest. Yes, trillions of dollars. Well, let's start with the Grammys because it's so much fun. Uh, <laughs> and did you, perchance, go to a television to watch the Grammys show? Why would I do that? I don't care about any of these artists. None of them? Not really. But you read about it. I read about it. Just well, to why? See. And just wanted to see who would win. Yeah, any surprises? Nope. Uh, okay. Any other reasons you were paying attention to the Grammys this year? Um, well, this year it was hosted by the, uh, Daily Show host Trevor Noah, uh-huh. who I will actually watch from time to time because he's hilarious. Yes. And I so, personally, you know, we all miss Jon Stewart, but I'm glad Trevor Noah is doing well. You don't know who Jon Stewart is, do you? Of course I do. He's the guy who did the Daily Show before Trevor Noah. Yes, yes, that is a good way to look at it. Uh, but you did not watch any of the show, and you did not read anything about the performances, I suppose. Not really. Well, I can say I have read it. It was the lowest-rated Grammy show uh, in history. Uh, also, there was controversy around the performance uh, involving Megan Thee Stallion and uh, Cardi B. It was a song that was more radio-safe even than normal, but still, you know, safe for later in the evening when impressionable young teenagers as yourself may not have been awake and watching because, you know, you go to bed early, right? Uh, sure. Early in the morning. The perils of online schooling is that there's no reason for a teen to wake up in the morning, then the <laughs> teen will not wake up in the morning. That's what the afternoon is for, right? Yep. Okay. So, uh... Grammys, you know, did not get quite as much uh, viewing as in past years. Still did uh, get some attention in the media, so to speak. But even more impressive in terms of dollar amount than what the Grammys would generate is the dollar amount of the stimulus package. $1.9 trillion, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yep. What have you been reading about that? How has the media been presenting it to you? Well, it finally got passed, albeit without a single Republican vote, but it's very popular. Like, I think over 60% of Americans support it. About 70%, as a matter of fact. Wow. Isn't it, like, the most popular 
bill that's been passed in decades. People do like to be given money. That is a positive thing. Why do you think that with something so popular with the public, why are Republicans voting against it? I honestly don't really know because it wasn't their idea. It wasn't their Mm. version of the bill. It's like, hold on. We're going to allow the Democrats to do something good for this country over my cold, dead body. Ah, that's an interesting perspective because, you know, Republicans say that we just need to be aware of this runaway spending and be more conservative with our spending and try to balance the budget. Uh, however, when the Republicans have been in power, sadly, they have not done that. Um, and therefore, I think your assessment may be accurate there that the opposition is because... They don't really want to get along, and it's not really in this day and age. It's more of, hey, you can't pass a bill. You can only pass my bill. Mm-hmm. It's not about helping the American people in politics anymore. It's about getting credit for helping the American people, right? Yep. So let me ask you, though, are there legitimate reasons to be concerned with this very large stimulus bill? I mean, I guess... is a lot of money. So what happens when the government just prints more money? Won't that take care of it? Uh, no, because that causes inflation. And if high school history classes taught me anything, it's that you never, ever do inflation. Well, you don't want deflation or stagnation either. Yeah, I mean, you want a healthy amount of inflation, but not something like World War I Germany. Uh, what happened there? Um, basically, uh, the Allies forced Germany to pay them back for billions of dollars, which Germany, being completely defeated, didn't have. So they decided, hey, let's just print obscene amounts of money. That'll solve it. And eventually it got to the point where money became so worthless, people were just burning it to stay warm. Because you'd need literal billions to buy a loaf of bread. That does seem problematic. We're probably not at that point in the United States, but apparently, I will say in my lifetime, uh, the national debt uh, does not mean what it used to. It's much, much higher than it used to be, and um, nobody really seems to care anymore. Well, think about it this way. The U.S. is the world's largest economy, right? Yes. And we owe this national debt to a bunch of foreign nations. Yes. And so if the foreign nations decide to call in our national debt, like, and we can't pay it, then our economy goes, and their economy goes with us. Because if the world's largest economy collapses, I mean, everyone collapses. That's what happened during the Great Depression. Hmm. So we're, we, as in the United States, are too big to fail. Yep. You know, you're far too young to remember this, but Uh, the course of history was changed in large part by campaigning about the deficit. When George H.W. Bush was running for re-election, he was opposed by Bill Clinton and Ross Perot. Ross Perot ran a campaign almost entirely on balancing the budget and cutting the trade trade deficit, but also the federal debt. I feel like he also ran on something else. Wasn't it like segregation or was that something no, else? No, that's totally, that was like Goldwater. That was like way before. Ross Perot uh, really was about the traditional conservative financial desire to, you know, have a balanced budget. 
his campaign was strong enough that he took almost 20% of the vote, most of those coming from votes that would have gone to George H.W. Bush, opening the door for Bill Clinton to win the presidency. And then he won re-election, of course, and then George W. Bush won. And, but in any event, it changed how history looked at things. And the only times in the last mm, 30 years that there's been a balanced budget is when there's been a Republican Congress and a Democratic president. John Kasich, the former governor of Ohio, worked on the budget in the Clinton administration, I believe. So anyway, you didn't ask me about any of that, and none of that really has to do with the media. But I will say that for a long time, the media spent a lot of attention as the campaigns dictated and as government policy revolved around the national debt. I have not read a single thing in the stimulus bill this time around that has mentioned the national debt or really much about inflation. I've read, this side wants it, this side's opposed to it. Have you read much more than that? I mean, not really, but going back to the national debt issue, I mean, it's like in the 20 trillions now. I mean, <laughs> event, it's at the point where it's so obscenely large that there's no way we could pay it off. So like, eh, let's just ignore it at this point. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. Yes. That uh, I'm hoping that we can do that for another 60 years or so, and then it can be your problem to fix and not mine. Hey. All right. So that, that's a quick update on the stimulus. And the government, by the way, is getting very good at these stimulus programs. I mean, they signed the bill, and the next day, it seems like some people were getting it in their bank accounts. Um, now, you had a question. I wanted to talk about something else. Uh, the Electoral College. Why this week on the Electoral College? Well, there's a lot of news about, you know, the whole voting rights restrictions, uh. and especially with mail-in voting. And that got me thinking, wait, the Electoral College was originally put in place so that people who couldn't get out and vote could still have their voices heard, right? And a representative democracy, exactly. But now that there's mail-in voting, and so that's not really an issue anymore in this information age where you can have a mail-in reliable ballot, it's, like, irrelevant now because we saw record turnout. Mm. Like, everybody who wanted to vote was able to vote. Well, I have to say that is a compelling argument because I've always thought one of the benefits of the Electoral College was that if you lived in a rural area and, say, you had to go 30 miles to vote and maybe there was bad weather, it was much harder for you to vote than if you lived in a more urban area where you might just have to walk down the block. Um, and that in a representative democracy, the idea being that geographically people would vote with similar interests. So whether 30% or 90% of a particular state voted or an area voted, the idea being that it would be the same vote essentially. But with mail-in voting, that's true. Pretty much everybody has access to the mail. That's an interesting argument. The only other argument for an electoral college that I've read that I think makes some sense is it actually helps stop fraud. Now, that may be less important today, but there were times when you'd have city electoral machines. You know, there certainly were questionable elections in Chicago, for example, going back, you know, 100 years. 
But by having the Electoral College, that limits the fraud to one state instead of affecting the entire nation's vote count. Still, I think if we learned anything, it's that the American citizens who, in many cases, volunteer as poll workers and electoral workers really are passionate and committed, and I think are the reason why we were able to have a free and fair and honest election. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, the fact that it's run by random volunteers that come from all walks of life and from all different backgrounds, you know, really ensures that there is a free and fair election, which there was. And yeah, I think just with the Electoral College, I mean, the popular vote and the Electoral College don't always line up. In some cases, they don't line up by millions of votes. Right. And it feels like, say you're a Republican in California and you're trying to vote for president. Okay, so you vote for the Republican candidate. Okay, congratulations. You've thrown away your vote because there's no way California is going red. Therefore, because of the Electoral College, your vote has absolutely no meaning. I mean, take a state where it's like 51-49. Only the 51, because it's a winner-take-all system, have representation now. And the other 49, it's like, well, you're out of luck. Uh. And I think that probably yeah. the biggest flaw with the system. Well, that, that 51-49 would still be true if it was a nationwide vote and winner-take-all, then that w would still met, be, be essentially the same thing. The 51 would be yay, and the 49 would not win and not feel very good about it. It's an interesting dilemma, and I think one of the things that we don't talk enough about in civics classes and in journalism as a whole is the difference between a straight democracy and a representative democracy. The United States was set up as a representative democracy, the Republic, where the idea was you elect electors, people to do voting on your behalf, and they do all the voting. They would pick the president. They would make the laws uh, instead of the public voting on everything. So I'm not saying one way is better than the other, but we may have finally reached the point where it is possible to have elections that are secure where everyone can easily vote and doesn't have to take the horse ride into the nearest village to to vote, but can vote sitting at their computer, perhaps. We're not far from there. They can make that secure. And then we'll have a much more direct control over elections. So it's a, it's really... I could go on and on and on, and since it's our podcast, I'll only go on for half the time because there's two of us. <laughs> but it's, it is a fascinating thing. Okay, uh, let me ask you this. What do you think of the police? Mm, what do you mean? Well, you've grown up at a time when you've seen the George Floyd case, the Breonna Taylor case, and very prominent cases of police officers having, let's just neutrally say, bad outcomes uh, involving uh, people who've died when in police custody or because of actions of police that uh, generally are considered not good practices by these officers that are involved. Um, that wasn't the case when I was 
your age, when I was your age, it was still like very much the narrative that, hey, police were good guys. They were on our side. Um, so I'm just curious in the world you've grown up in and in what you've seen the last few years as a teenager, what do you think of police? Well, I think the majority of them, I'd say like 85, 90 percent mm-hmm. are good, decent, honorable people. But it's just those 10 percent that ruin it for everyone. And I also think there's really a lack of training. I mean, a hairstylist in the U.S. needs more training to be certified than a police officer. You're telling me that a person needs more hours for a certificate to use scissors on people than a guy to get a certificate to use a gun on people? I mean, it just makes zero sense. Hmm. That is an excellent and fascinating point. Um, you are, have you followed the trial of the police officer involved in the George Floyd killing? Well, right now they're still in the jury selection phase, which will be really hard considering the national prominence. And it just makes me ask, like, what, I know this has happened before, specifically with the O.J. Simpson trial. I mean... How do you find completely uninformed, unbiased mm. people when everybody knows about it? Yeah, I think at that point, the best you can do is not say, do you do you not know anything about it, Mr. or Ms. Juror? But can you be open and honest and fair in assessing only the facts presented here today? I think this, this jury selection has to take a while, and they'll have to have a lot of alternates. Um but that is a really difficult thing. By the way, jury selection uh, has often been described as the most important part of the trial in some cases. I've been on juries and I've seen stories where juries, you know, really there are cases where one juror who can be dead set in a particular side, like in this case, very pro-police or very anti-police, could single-handedly cause a hung jury. And so they do need to be careful in their jury selection because hung juries aren't good for anybody. They just cost a lot of money and retrials and they don't get anywhere. But have you followed at all? I mean, you've seen the videos, I, I assume. Have you followed or seen anything resembling a defensible argument for the police officers in the George Floyd case? Um, well, I think the video kind of tells the entirety of the story. I mean, when a guy's screaming, I can't breathe, and you have your knee on his neck, I mean, that really doesn't make a compelling case for, I didn't murder him. Sure, I was suffocating him, but, like, he died of natural causes. I mean, he naturally needs oxygen to live. Well, something along those lines is probably probably the argument. But, you know, we wouldn't know about this murder or alleged murder in the same way if it wasn't for people who had cell phones with video on them. And so even 10 years ago, this was entirely possible that all those people would have seen this and nobody would have recorded it on camera. And that's been a massive change in how the world exists. You have had, well, you've had camera phones around, you know, your whole life, basically, right? Yeah. Um, you don't know what it's like to go a whole world where 
For example, um, I'm pretty sure every soccer goal you've ever scored from kindergarten on, I have on video somewhere. <laughs> there are zero videos of me playing any sports growing up because nobody, <laughs> there's like at most one dad out there with the camcorder and that almost never happened. And everybody looked at him like, why are you recording this? Now you go to a kid's sporting event and there are 15 camera phones out recording everything, right? Yep. Uh, so you've grown up in a world where cameras are everywhere. Mm-hmm. So... Does that, I wonder if that has any impact on how you view video on television and the news. Does it feel special to you when you see video of something on TV? Why would it? <laughs> I see hundreds of videos a week. I mean, no, of course not. We live in an age where pretty much everything is able to be recorded in the blink of an eye. I mean, you can... Everyone, mostly everyone, carries a phone with them everywhere they go. And so if something starts happening, you can pretty easily just whip out your phone and start recording it. Uh, yeah. So what about when the local media covers your high school? Do you get excited about that and say, oh, look, there's our, our high school on TV? Eh, kind of. Yeah. By the way, your high school doing very well in sports this year and, and academics, I'm quite sure. Um, though the academic part never seems to make it to local television news. Um, we'll have to talk about that at some point. All right. Uh, so you, I am sure, can name every member of the royal family, all their children, and the complete line of succession, correct? No. I mean, there's like <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, Prince Harry, Prince Charles, Meghan Markle, and... Uh, that one guy no one likes. Can't remember his name. Well, that is quite the list. That's not quite the entire royal family. It's close enough. But uh, was there a time this week when you turned, when you opened your phone and looked at news and didn't see something about the, the interview or the royal family? Nope. Yeah. Um, so, based off what you've read, have you formed an opinion on? Britain's royal family in the House of Windsor? Eh, not really. I mean, I'm not that informed. You just don't care. Eh, that's mostly yeah, it. Yeah, you don't care. I mean, I'm not British. Why would I care? Hmm. And yet, it, it has been watched worldwide and in all kinds of countries that have no connection whatsoever to the royal family. Why is that? I'm going to go with Oprah. It's because of Oprah. Uh, I think... They're very high-profile celebrities. Yeah. And, you know, there still are countries that still do love the Queen, like Canada mm. and a lot of former British colonies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally, I have to confess, I have watched all four seasons of The Crown so far. <laughs> but I did not watch the interview myself. I, I don't know. I just did not have the interest in it that everyone else did, in part because... You know, season four of The Crown is still in the like late 80s. And therefore, I'll follow this interview when The Crown catches up. I don't want to spoil <laughs> the ending um, or whatever comes next for it. Well, is there anything you saw news-wise this week that you looked at and said, that's weird or that's odd or why is that? Well, the entire interview was basically Meghan Markle, um, I don't know, kind of 
telling about how much the royal family sucks. I mean, <laughs> right. there was the, it's a super toxic culture where everyone's expected to behave at all times. Oh, and by the way, they're racist. Just going to throw that out there. Back then, no, just one person. Yeah, which makes it well, a lot more. less believable when there's only one person. They were, they were clear to say it was, they were not referring to Queen Elizabeth, um, who no one has ever really accused of that. Uh, that people, each, I have found it fascinating in the British press, you know, even those who sympathize with uh, Meghan Markle and the prince are sort of like, no, no, but everybody still loves a queen. <laughs> you know, it, it will be interesting if at some point um, the crown passes to her son, whether the monarchy as it is, the constitutional monarchy, they like to, they like to call it, will survive in the same way or if it'll, it'll change or what will happen there. Well, I mean, in Britain, I'm pretty sure, like, everybody adores the Queen. Like, I'm pretty sure if you insult the Queen of England in Britain, you're legal, they're legally allowed to draw and quarter you. <laughs> Somebody should tell the tabloids that, uh, because, you know, they have no trouble yeah. stirring up things about the Queen. I'd also like right. to clarify my past comment about Meghan Markle saying it's a toxic yeah. society. She was referring to the constant coverage by the tabloids uh, and how the tabloids are just making up stuff, but it's still not exactly emotionally healthy. Yeah, so tabloids, you could say, uh, there are tabloids, not all of them, but there are tabloids that were the originators of fake news in, in the world, right? You, uh, I still don't understand. Well, I guess I'm understanding more now. I never understood who bought the grocery store newspapers with the crazy, cannot be true, Elvis was pregnant by alien stories that were in those tabloids that were in the supermarket forever. They've always been there. But somebody must have been buying them because they were always there in that prime real estate for buying things when you're standing at the checkout line. And now that I've seen what's happened with social media and conspiracy theories, it's starting to make me think, wait. Were there people reading these things who thought they were real? And yeah, it's a kind of a scary thought, but I mean, I always forget to be some, a handful of people who had trouble with reality, but the scale of conspiracy theories and people willing to believe outlandish news that has no basis in reality. Uh, again, not necessarily saying this is the case with the British tabloids, but just tabloid news in general. Uh, it's fascinating from a sociological standpoint and terrifying from a human standpoint. Anyway, none of that really has to do with the Queen, uh, who we are generally fans of, <laughs> even though we don't live in England and, and don't generally want monarchy as our default form of government. But anyway. All right. Anything else in the news this week that you've noticed, Benjamin? Hmm... Oh, yeah, Tucker Carlson. Oh, no. What oh, about yeah. Tucker Carlson? Well, he he said that um, Biden's initiatives to make the military more gender equal, a.k.a. making sure women are treated like people in the military. So here was his actual quote. China's military is becoming more masculine, while the U.S. military is becoming more feminine. According to him, that's a bad thing. And um, so then all the uh, Pentagon generals, like, 
you know, he faced a lot of backlash for saying that women shouldn't be allowed to be in the military, and he should be facing backlash for that. Yes, I have to admit, I've I've not seen any news generated by Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Somehow I've missed that in my life. Uh, well, you know, it may seem natural to you, but... It wasn't that long ago women essentially weren't allowed in the military outside the medical field. They weren't allowed to go to military academies. Um, and I think it's been shown and there have been great military leaders. Cassie Barlow, who was in charge of the Air Force Material Command for some time before her retirement. An example of that, one of the early graduates of the academy. Uh, so that is something that, you know, in your lifetime, it seems absurd for somebody to say that. In my lifetime, I lived when I was your age. It was unheard of for women to be serving in active military, uh, in the in the capacity of you know war and combat. So, it's a, a very positive change, I guess, that it would just seem absurd to you, and that there's a backlash there, because hey, if you can do the job, you can do the job, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, also, by the way, let's really hope we avoid a war with China. It just doesn't work out well for anybody. Yep. No matter how masculine or feminine Tucker Carlson thinks that they are, <laughs> perhaps his bow tie can protect us. Which is a shame because there are great people who've worn bow ties, but let's just say Tucker Carlson's relationship with the truth is not worthy of a debate here on this podcast. Yep. Um, okay. Well, you know, last week we should have mentioned you were feeling a little bit under the weather. Uh, we spaced ourselves far apart. But it turns out you went and got your COVID test, and the results were? Negative. No COVID, and you're feeling 100% uh, better today. Yep, I'm feeling fine. Yep, and so we are back to our normal recording studio patterns. Thank goodness. I know many of you out there were worried. Don't worry. It's all good. We're all safe here. Yep. Um, but we also have to tell you about really cool things in the way in which we bring our podcast to you on Apple and Google and Stitcher and Spotify and your Amazon Alexa device and really everywhere podcasts are brought to you. We are able to do it effectively, efficiently, and quickly in a way that, you know, anybody could do it because we use Post by Futuri. We use it to create publish and op optimize our episodes. You can figure out how to do podcasts yourselves and learn how to do it in the most efficient way possible using Futuri, as many of the top brands in podcasts do. Post at futurimedia.com. Well, uh, five episodes now, you know, we're looking forward to half a dozen when we get to next week's. By the way, St. Patrick's Day happening this week. I hope Everyone enjoys it in a very safe and fun way. Um, I guess we should have talked about how the media covers the Irish and St. Patrick and the fact that in the United States there are far more Irish Americans than there are people who live in Ireland. But we didn't get there today. I think that we'll see next week, though. I'm actually going to task you, Benjamin, to keep an eye out on how the media covers St. Patrick's Day this year and see what, what you think of it with an open look at it. All right, will do. I can tell you're very excited. <laughs> That's been another week of me and my team and the news. I'm Tim. I'm Ben. Thank you for listening.